You know, a year and a half ago, the Lord told uh, told us as pastors that, you know, that we had a great call upon our lives as churches here strategically. And we see that with all the building that's going on around us. And, and one of the things that said so we had to come up in corporate prayer. And we've learned that corporate prayer, the Bible talks about the church is ecclesia. And that means that we are a governing body that we, we pray. And we don't pray for religious duty. We pray because we pray to get results. We pray because we are in joint interest with God. Amen. And, and that's part of who we are as a church. Isaiah tells us that, talked about how, how that we would be a, talked about in the future of the Zion, which is the Old Testament word for the New Testament church, in that we would be a house of prayer. And, and that's scriptural. And I believe that God is looking for a house, not just a church, but you are God's house. He doesn't dwell with temples made with hands anymore, but, but we are the temple of the living God and his spirit lives on the inside of us. So you and I, we are, we are houses of prayer. You know, you know, uh, there was a guy named Ian Bounds, and, and he made a statement. He says, God can do nothing in the earth unless a man pray. Amen. You know, and, and, and prayer is the responsibility and the duty of every believer. Amen. It's not just a, a few select, you know, lack of a better term, you know, more experienced, older ladies in the corner of a room somewhere, and we're the prayers, and we're called to prayer. No, all of us are. Amen. 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 So I've been talking about revival and like Wednesday nights is kind of like Bible school and, and, uh, and so we get into some things and, and, uh, but I'm going to continue what, what I've been dealing with on Sundays about revival and, and cause we've seen that revival is, is God's heart. Revival isn't a, a three day meeting. It's not a, it's not a goose bump. It's not a, a necessarily a wild service or anything like that. Revival is the heartbeat of the father. You know, he, he, he is all about revival. Revival is restoration and it's, it's his heartbeat for the body of Christ. You know, speaking of revival, I've been, I just started, um, you know, I, I, I didn't get in, but then the Lord started speaking to me about revival back in the beginning of the year and, and it took a while just to, just to kind of meditate on some things on what direction he'd want me to go because I could talk about revival and, different aspects, but, and I could read books and on, on revival and, and different studied revivals of, of that, that have taken place in the past and in those things where the Lord said, I, I want to just show you some different things. And, and so just what I've been sharing with you is not things I've heard in a book or anything like that. It's just, just stuff that the Lord's put in my heart for really his heart for the church, his heart for the body of Christ. And, uh, but I got reading some things here recently in the last week, week and a half or so. And, and there was a revival that took place in the, you know, the, the 1800s and, uh, by the, started with, a, by the name of a man named Evan Robert, Evan Robertson is the Welsh revival. And, and if you think about this, this man, he was 26 years of age and, um, he was in college. He left college and he, and he, they had him come back to his church in, in, in Wales and, and was, uh, and said, we wanted him to preach. And he had a four point message. It was four point message. I'm not going to tell you what those four points are right now, but the purpose of what I want, what I want to get across to you was he, he was a 26 year old man that preached to 17 people. It was 17 people. That message, 17 people totally set the whole area and turned it upside down into such a way where all the bars and all the brothels and 
everything had closed down and they had actually start having to build more churches. And it's, and it made it such a mark in that community in that time that there was some negative press, so to speak, back, back then. They were saying, well, only 80,000 of the 100,000 people in the community are still in church. I'm like, 80,000? 100,000 people got saved in a matter of, 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 of months. 100,000 people. And this is in the 1800s, and they had to build more churches. And still, five years later, 80,000 people are still in the church. Wow. But it all started with 17 people. A man with a message from God, and it totally changing 17 people's lives. You know, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the disciples. You know, he had twelve, and but there was a hundred hundred and twenty on the day of Pentecost, and in the first the first the first message that was preached, three thousand people got saved. <laughs> that's revival. Amen. Well, that's not my message tonight, but um, thought you needed to hear that. Have you have your Bibles turned to Psalms twenty seven? And I'm just really gonna just. Pick up on some things that I ministered this past Sunday. And I'm losing Psalms chapter 28 and 29 in my Bible here. It's, it's wanting to fall out here. Hallelujah. As I was preparing um, this afternoon uh, for tonight, there was, just, there was two phrases that kept going across in my heart. And as I got quiet and just just asking the Lord, what do you what do you want me to share tonight? And and it was two phrases I'm going to deal with most of the time tonight, um, the next thirty minutes or so. Just going to just share with you about on this the first phrase. And the first phrase is make it personal. Go ahead and write that down if you're taking notes. Make it personal. You know we can get so busy with life. Um, and that, that can even be in, in our Christian service. It could be in our families. It could be our children with school. It could be being a mom. It could be trying to maintain a business. It, there could be so many different things. And we can get so busy with life. And we can just get into the routine. Uh, and just all about the outward actions of the things that we're doing. Um, and, and to where we lose the, the personal aspect of our relationship with God. You know, we can get so busy that we, f- we forget that it is a fellowship with God. It is a personal relationship with God. We're not, we're not puppets. We're not God's um, chess pieces. We, he, he, didn't, he, he created us for fellowship. He, he, he created us for relationship. And, and we, can, we get drawn into this Christian life. It wasn't just so we could make a check mark and say we're now saved and and we're going to heaven one day no it was all about a personal relationship and and so i want you to say that say this with me just say this make it personal you know david we talked about david on sunday and and uh when he made the statement in 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 psalm 27 he said the lord is my light and my salvation he didn't say he's Israel's light. He didn't say he's he's Saul's light. He's he's the prophet's light. He said he's the Lord is my light. It's my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? He's 
He is my strength. So whom shall I be afraid? He's, you know, even though a host encamps around about me, even though, you know, war is raging against me is verse, uh, verse, verse two or verse three. And then, but then he says, this one thing I desire, this one thing I desire. And I, and I talked about this on Sunday is one thing I desired and that will I seek after that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I mean, there, there's so many things that, that we, we may wake up on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday and we may have a list of things that be, have become our priority. But yet with the, yet with David, he, the psalmist, he, he had one thing, just one thing have I desired and that's what I'm going to seek after. That I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and I will behold the beauty of the Lord. And I love when the Lord told me that last week, he said that David went in with one thing, but in the understanding of just seeing one thing, that in that he's going to see many things. That when I, when I, when I pursue the one thing, it's going to open up possibilities. It's going to open up things that maybe I never dreamed of. It's going to open up new ideas. Behold the beauty of the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? The Lord is wisdom. He, Jesus is, it said, Jesus is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It's, he is everything that we need. He is everything that we need. So when I go in and having this one thing, it opens up to where I can see many things. You, you go, go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. David had to make it personal. Psalm 63, verse 1, in the Amplified, it says, Oh God, you are my God. You are my God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. This speaks of priority. Earnestly. Earnestly. So we see in Psalm 27, he's saying, one thing I've desired. Here in Psalm 63, he's saying, earnestly will I seek you. He says, my inner self thirst for you. My flesh longs and is faint for you in a dry and weary land where no water is. Meaning, you know, we can find ourselves in the same thing. I, you know, really, I mean, our world is dry. <laughs> our world is weary, so to speak. And if we find all our information in, from, from what's happening in our world, we're, 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 we're going to end up empty. We're going to end up burn out. We're going to end up, you know, hopeless. We're going to end up discouraged. But David said, even though I'm in this land, even though my inner self is, is needing something more, what does he do? He goes, I go. What does he, does he say? He says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Meaning I'm in this world and it's dry and weary. And because I'm dry and weary, so to speak, I know where I need to go. I know where I need to go. He goes, I look upon you in the sanctuary to what? To see your power and your glory. Meaning I go there because I know I'm going to see what I need to see. And when I see what I need to see, I'm going to now have hope like I didn't have before. See, hope is an inner image of, uh, of, 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 it's a blueprint, so to speak. And that's what going into the word and that's what coming to church and that's what small groups and that's what Christian relationships are all about is about being in those environments. It will cause you to see things you didn't see before. Maybe, maybe you've, you're, you've gone through disappointments. Maybe you've gone through things, but when you get under the word and you get around other people, then what happens? It can cause you to see things you may not have seen before. 
to see, to see there is hope. And, and now that I have hope, now I have faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? But it all comes, it all, it all comes about on what are you seeing? But what you're seeing is determined, determined by what you're seeking. Do you see that? David made it personal. In Acts chapter, actually, First Samuel 13, verse 14, and Acts chapter 13, 22, it talks of David. And it tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. That sounds personal to me. It was personal. He was after God's own heart. Not only was David made it personal, but we saw Sunday also Paul made it personal. How did we see that in Philippians three? What did he, what did we, what did, he, what did we see in verse 10? He said that I may know him. My determined purpose is this. My determined purpose is this. The Amplified says my determined purpose is this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. His determined purpose. I mean, here he used, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament and yet he just says, my determined purpose is to know him. He was, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Counting the law, he was blameless. But yet he said, he goes, I put all those things behind me. I put all those things behind me that I might know him. He made it personal. Let me show you some other examples with, with the Apostle Paul. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Paul relied on this personal relationship with his Heavenly Father. You know, he, um, he was, uh, right before he was killed by Nero towards the end of his life, He's talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he's on trial, and he, sa- he makes a statement, and he says, he goes, when I was on trial, he said, he said, everyone forsook me, everyone left me. But then he makes a statement, he says, but the Lord stood by me. Now, I mean, think about it, you know, all of a sudden, God didn't come down in a red cape and stand next to him and... You know, like Perry Mason say, I'm your lawyer today, Paul. No, it was, he knew, he knew just this aspect of God's, per, this personal relationship with God. Even though, you know, my, my friends have left me, even though my missionary friends, those that had traveled with me, those I imparted, all the churches that I started, even all these things, everyone left me. He said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He, he had this personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's what I encourage us. That revival is birthed out of personal relationship. It's making it personal. That's what revival is all about, is us making a decision that we want to make it personal with God. It's not just my church thing I do. It's not my Sunday thing I do. It's personal. In Acts 17 and the Amplified uh, verse um, could start in verse 24 for the sake of time. Let's, let's look at verse 27. He says, 
so that they should seek God. Hallelujah. Actually, I, I do need to read verse 26. It says, And he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle in the face of the earth, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time and their fixed boundaries of their habitation, their settlements, their lands, and their abodes. So he created all nations upon the face of the earth. The next verse tells us why. So that they, so that they, so that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. See, this is personal. This is personal. You were created to worship God. That's the only thing that, one of the only things that we're going to do forever is to worship God. Personal. Make it personal. Go to uh, Acts 27. Acts 27. In this story here, the Apostle Paul, he's... uh, about to be shipwrecked. In verse 23, he says this. For this very night there stood by my side an angel of God. To whom I belong and whom I serve and worship. Here, we're, what are we, we're getting some insight into someone's life that was successful in God. And what are we seeing? We're seeing the dynamics of their personal relationship with God. I mean, Noah, anyone that was successful throughout the word, they had this personal relationship with God. Noah, it said that he, his, he walked habitually with God. Enoch walked habitually with God. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we see it in uh, Genesis 24, Genesis 48. It talked about how they walk with God. And so what? They made it personal. So also, let's look at Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus made it personal. Say, make it personal. Go to John 17. John 17. Revival is about making it personal. It's not what what your pastor's doing. It's not what this person. It's not about, you know, your friend. It's about you. It's about you. Thank you, Father. And there's other scriptures we could go to with this, but for the sake of time, John 17. Thank you, Father. Let's, uh, just, let's just do verse 11. And this is Jesus' prayer um, before he's betrayed. And he says this, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Now now listen to that. This is Jesus' prayer. And his prayer is that the disciples, he's praying over the disciples, and the prayer is that they would be one as we are one. Now think about that. That's that's personal. We have to. This relationship is about personal. It, it's it's about being personal. Revival in your life, restoration in your life is is all about how far are you willing to go with God? How much are you willing to surrender to God? 
Jesus said that you, that they would be one like we are one. He's talking about his relationship with the heavenly father. And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, I'm not just praying for these alone. But I'm praying for them, all them that will believe on their word. So he's not just praying for the 12 disciples or the 70. He's saying, I'm praying for all them that are going to believe on their word. So this wasn't just a word for just apostles. This was the word for everyone that would believe on their word. And, and we are, you know, if, if we didn't have the gospel, if we didn't have this word, then we wouldn't even know what salvation is. So we're only here because of the words of the apostles. So, but Jesus, he had to make it personal. He had to make it personal. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Making it personal. In order, if we're going to make it personal in our lives, we... It starts when we shift priorities. You know, I have to, you know, I, you know, anytime that um, in my own personal life, if, I know if I want something more, then I'm going to have to shift priorities. It's like what Deborah was saying, and I, I referred to some things on Sunday. If I, if I want something different, I've got to do something different. You know, we all know the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing and get different results. You know, we're doing the same thing, but yet we're expecting something different to be the outcome. You know, it is not, if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go farther in, in my purpose in life, then I'm going to have to shift priorities. If, if I'm going to make it personal, then I'm going to have to make it less about me and more about him, right? So let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's going to take a shift in priorities. Thank you, Father. Let me move my phone for a second. Pulled up something I want to read. And I want to read this in the, the J.B. Phillips New Testament. Now listen to this. Just, just listen. He says, with eyes wide open, eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Now listen to that, that God may remold your minds from within. See, you know, there's an old song that, uh, that Hillsong used to do from the inside out. You know, it's, it's not about, it's not about your actions. It's about, it starts here because if you, if you work in here, then the actions change, right? And so if you deal, Jesus didn't deal with the, he, he doesn't deal with the actions. He, see, Jesus was different and he totally wrecked people's theology. You know, I mean, you know, so much so that he would say, you say, 
you know, um, you say don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look at a woman with, don't even look in a woman in a negative way. So Jesus, Jesus didn't deal with the action. See, adultery is the action. Jesus dealt with the root, which was the thought. He said, you know, he goes, you say, you know, you shall not murder. But I say unto you that don't even have anger towards your brother. Because if you can deal with the thought, then the action will never happen. You see what I'm saying? So, so when we talk about making it personal, it's you allowing God to be personal with you. Because change can only come, go as far as you're willing to let him in. Making it personal. And here it says, it says, with your eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, brothers, as an act of your intelligent worship, what is the worship? To give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The uh, King James says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a there's a direct connection of transformation and what I'm choosing to sacrifice. See, there's a total connection that I'd be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so the transformation is going to come about when I choose to present my body as a living sacrifice. And it's not about it's not about your good works. It's about allowing him to work in you. And then that then that causes good works. Just want to make sure I get this out right tonight, okay? Thank you, Father. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. So making it personal is going to be a shift in my priorities. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Somebody might be another scripture. <laughs> Sorry, this is a long story. If you don't know this one, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, some of you might remember that story. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. Remember, presenting your bodies as living sacrifice. This is your reasonable worship. So making it personal is, and letting him in my life is, a, is in itself an act of worship. Surrender is an act of worship. And he, he says this he, in verse 1, and they'll put it on the screen um, so you can follow along in the Passion Translation. He says, examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your heavenly father. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people like the hypocrites in the streets and in the marketplaces 
They've already received the reward, but when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly, and your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. Now, I'm going to read three different things here, and now I'm going to go back and, and just bring a couple things out. Then he says this, whenever you pray. So first of all, he talked about when you give. Giving is an act of worship, Right? Now, whenever you pray, be sincere and not let the like, not like pretenders who love the intention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received in full the reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God. Praying to him in secret and your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases praying like those who don't know God. For they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no need to imitate them since their father already knows what you need before you ask. So pray like this. Now let's go to uh, verse 16. So you have when you give and when you pray. Then he has this, when you fast. When you fast, don't look like those who pretend to be spiritual. They want everyone to know they're fasting. So they appear in public looking miserable, gloomy, and disheveled. Believe me, they've already received the reward in full. When you fast, don't let it be obvious, but instead wash your face, groom yourself, and realize that your father in the secret place is the one who is watching all that you do in secret and will continue to reward you openly. Now, now here, here in these three, three things, because these are all acts of worship. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Those are all, you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Right? That's giving. That's in prayer. That's in fasting. And, and it's interesting. He says, he talks, and it's so personal. He, he is like, don't make it about the outward show. What do I hear him saying is what? Make it personal. Make it personal. When you, when you pray, go to your innermost in your innermost closet, in the Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Thank you, Father. You know, in the in the prayer one, he says, "Go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God." That's personal. That's personal. That's relationship. And and now hear this. Now, there's corporate prayer and those different things. That, but what you you need to see is. The strength of corporate prayer really comes down to the, the strength of your private prayer life. And, and now hear this. It says that he who sees in secret will reward you in the open. So now let me state this. Because each one of those things is make prayer personal. Make your giving personal. Make your fasting personal. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Now hear this, and he who sees in secret will reward you in the open. That means, show me the money, for lack of a better term. That means, that means, that, that if, if I see, that what's in your personal relationship with God, all of a sudden there's going to be fruit that's going to come from your life. When you make it personal, he's going, to re, he's going to reward you in the open. So I wrote, I wrote this statement down. Making it pers- personal 
unlocks the supernatural and the extraordinary in your life. And see, that's what we see with David. That's what we see with Paul. That's what we see with Jesus, that when we make it personal, it unlocks the extraordinary. It unlocks the supernatural. It unlocks the greater things. It unlocks all that God wants to accomplish. Because when we make it personal, he that sees in secret will reward you in the open. That means everyone can see it. That Everyone can see it. Thank you, Father. Just a couple more things here. Thank you, Lord. It's personal. Thank you, Father. When we make it personal, it causes supernatural things, extraordinary things to take place in my life. You know, the more, the more you surrender your life to him, the more he can do in your life. He's a gentleman. He can, he'll only, he'll only move in, so to speak, depending on how much room you'll give him in your life. When I make it personal, thank you, Father. When I make it personal, where do you want to go next? Go to Joshua. I think I just got two more scriptures. Joshua chapter 3. It's personal. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is a personal decision that you make. It's personal surrender. You living a life of giving, life of prayer, living a fasted life, that's 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 a personal decision. That's 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 sacrifice. That's setting your life apart to something. In Joshua three, and I, this is one of my favorite stories in Joshua, and I'm not, not going to unpack the story. I just want to unpack this one scripture in verse five, and I'll read this in the Amplified. It says, "And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. That is, separate yourselves." For a special holy purpose. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Wow. So it's not based. It's it's not based on God. So so now think about it. It's if if wonders are going to happen. Or wonders not happening, is that God's fault or the people's fault? Because the instructions were, sanctify yourselves today. You, you, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. See, this is personal. You know, according to the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and sets apart according to Titus chapter three, verse five. The, the Holy Spirit is a, is sanctifies us, but you have to yield to that work of sanctification. What is sanctification? It means, it means to be set apart to something. So what is, what is Joshua telling all the people? He's saying, set yourselves apart for a holy purpose. Why? Because the Lord is going to do wonders among you. So the Lord doing wonders among them had everything to do 
with them consecrate, sanctifying themselves. See, it, but you, it's a personal decision you make. It's a personal decision. God wants to do wonders, extraordinary things in your life. But what we have to do is we have to set ourselves apart to sanctify ourselves. Set ourselves apart and say, God, I'm going to give this time to you. I'm going to give you this area of my life. I'm going to give up that and take on this. It's personal. It's personal. So, so making it personal. And when we put him in the right place, in the right position, it opens us up for revival. Extraordinary things. Let's close with this. Second Chronicles 26. Say, make it personal. Your success has everything to do with making it personal. This is another one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think they're all my favorite, but. Mac Hammond, a minister that I followed a lot through the years, pastors a great church in Minneapolis, and, and he would start off every series, and he'd always say, this is the most important series I've ever taught. <laughs> and so when he starts a new series now, he'll always, this is the most. <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Verse 1 says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Wow. And made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. I talked about dying. He wasn't sleeping with his fathers. He died. Okay. <laughs> Just to clarify that. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. In verse 5 he said this, And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he, Uzziah, sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, he was made to prosper. See, as long as he sought the Lord. So, so as long as King Uzziah was making it personal, as long as he put right things in right perspective, then he was made to prosper. I mean, there were some amazing things that in that 52 years that King Uzziah reigned, amazing victories that he had. Let me read a few things. It says, and he went forth and he warred against the Philistines and he broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabniah and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines, and God helped him against the Philistines. Verse 8, the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad even to entering of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. 
Man, God, as long as he saw the Lord, he was made to prosper. He made his name so famous that everywhere from he was, where he was at all the way to Egypt, people knew who this guy was. And he was 16 years of age. He built towers in the desert. He digged many well, wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. A husbandman also, a vine dresser in the mountains and in Mount Carmel, for he loved husbandry. He was a farmer. He, he was a warrior. He, uh, man, he did everything. Not only that, but he actually invented weapons that never existed before. Verse 14 says, and Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets, habergons and bows and slings to cast stones. He made in Jerusalem engines. Invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with all. And his name spread abroad for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. As long as he was made to prosper, he prospered. He invented things. Never existed. He invented things. And he said he did all these things and he was successful until he became strong. Meaning he no longer made it personal. He made it about self. And soon as it, soon as that happened, he ended up getting leprosy and he died. But as long as he sought the Lord, he was made to prosper. As long as he made it personal with God, he saw great successes. So I encourage you, as long as you make it personal... God will do extraordinary things in and through your life. Now, I told you the Lord told me two phrases. First phrase was make it personal. And let me close with this. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. First phrase was make it personal. And the second phrase is keep it personal. It's not just making it personal, but it's keeping it personal. Keeping it personal. Thank you, Father. Second Timothy 4, verse, verse 6. Paul says this, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Faith is built out of a personal relationship with God. Personal relationship. And then it says this, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So this, he not, not just me, but all those that love his appearing. What is that? What is, what's he saying? He goes, what is he? He's continuing to make it personal. He's keeping it personal. Not only that, but all those that love his appearing. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love his appearing. What does that mean? What does love his appearing? Meaning those that are waiting for his return. That's making it personal. Not of that, but it's keeping it personal. Until he comes back, making it and keeping it personal. 
Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we thank you for the challenge that it brings in our lives. I thank you, Father, for causing us to see areas of our life where we can make it personal. Show us areas in our lives that we need to sanctify ourselves, area of our lives where we need to make you Lord of our lives, areas that, that we may have neglected, Lord. So we, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for continuing to work, do a work in our hearts. Thank you, Father, that we would be like King Uzziah, that we would put you first place, that we would seek you. And as long as we make it personal, I thank you that you will prosper us. I thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of us. And I thank you for revival over this, over every individual. I thank you for personal revival. And I thank you for corporate revival. But I thank you also for a community awakening. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive this word tonight. Amen. Amen. Nikki.